Let's give the Lord praise. It's so good to welcome you today to Mercy Culture Waco. My name is Les, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. It's a pleasure to have you with us on our first Sunday morning. Uh, There's nothing like starting a new service time and then sprinkling in about 65 kids just to add a little bit of chaos, right? But it was so awesome to be able to worship together with our families, to lay hands on them, to pray with them, to pray with our educators today as we begin a new school year. Uh, Parents, are you ready for school to start? I guess not, so... Some parents are. Some parents are excited. Some of us aren't. It's been a great summer, um, but it's such a pleasure to welcome you all here this morning. I want to welcome you to the tent. We say this often. This is not our permanent home. We have purchased the building just right through those doors. You passed by it when you came in. Amen. And we're in the midst of remodeling that facility right now and working on it. It's going to be an amazing permanent home for us here at Mercy Culture. And we should be in that building uh, by the beginning of the year. Our goal is actually, that's all right. Our goal is actually to have a Christmas Eve service in our new building. So that's the plan. Be praying with us that, that all of that works out. I'm so excited to announce my, my beautiful wife will be preaching next Sunday morning. She sends her love today. We are actually moving finally from Fort Worth to Waco tomorrow. Yes. So excited to be back in the city. And uh, anybody that's ever moved before knows what a blessing that is. And so... We've been up to our eyeballs and boxes, and she's at home doing that right now, and uh, she so wishes she could be here with you guys. But the vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what that means is simple. It just means that at Mercy Culture, the goal has never been for us to have a big church. But the goal of Mercy Culture has always been that people would encounter the Lord. And not only encounter God in the ways that we did today corporately, but we know that we can encounter the Lord every single day in our homes and with our families and at our jobs, our places of business, whatever it is that we're doing, we can encounter the presence of the Lord. And when you can encounter the Lord and you can hear God's voice and you have the faith to step out in obedience to what he speaks, there's nothing that you can't do. If you can hear the voice of God and do what he said, you cannot fail. And we know the importance of encountering God's presence. And we believe that uh, there is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. What that means is simple, that uh, some of you connect with God through worship, and some connect with God through study, and some connect with the Lord through solitude, and you like to be alone, and others through conversation, and others through movement. There are so many ways to connect with the Lord, and we want to help you to discover the way that you best connect with God. And the reason is because I believe that in churches, a lot of us have, have done the people a disservice and that we've either taught or we've implied in some way that the only way you can connect with God is the way the pastor connects with the Lord or the way that the worship leader connects with God. And for some of you, you connect with God working out in the yard, Or you connect with God going for a run. There are are many ways to connect with the Lord. And we have a process called MC Connect. 
And this is the way that you, the first step into joining Mercy Culture and learning about our vision, our values, our unique characteristics, the cultural elements of our house. And also, it's the way that we help to disciple you to discover how you best connect with the Lord. So if you want more information about that, you just text the word CONNECT to 59090 and you will get a, uh, you'll get a link sent back to you. You can also text the word notes to that same number, 59090 this morning, and all the notes that are in front of me will be sent straight to your phone or your device, and you can follow along with all the scriptures and things this morning. I want to take us to Numbers chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. We've got a lot of scripture this morning, so we'll run through it. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. In verse 21, it says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. And jumping to verse 25, it says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kedesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sit us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, that word in verse 28, however, is a powerful word. How many of you ever heard a word from the Lord? God has given you direction, and then somebody always seems to have a however. And they said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height, and to us we seemed as grasshoppers." I've come to tell you this morning that you expand spiritual territory through rejecting despair. The title of my message this morning is Expanding Spiritual Territory, Stewarding the Next Generation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your presence is already in this room this morning. God, we don't make room for you to move. We give you the room. Lord, none of this is ours It all belongs to you. So Jesus, I'm grateful that nobody came to hear me speak this morning. We all came to hear your voices. 
So God, we lay down performance, comparison, and the need to impress. Lord, I'm not here to impress anyone. God, let us just be a vessel to speak your words to your people. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. 2022 is the year of expanding territory. For Mercy Culture Church, that's the prophetic word over our house this year. That means that if you're a part of Mercy Culture, that's the word over your house as well. We've been reading 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10 over our family and over our church every day. If you haven't been doing that, I encourage you begin now in the middle of the year. Declare this scripture over your family every day. It says this, and Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that if you would bless me indeed and enlarge and expand my territory, that your hand of favor might be upon me. And that you would keep me from all harm and evil so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. There is no sustained expansion of spiritual territory without properly stewarding the next generation. We have a responsibility as men and women of God, as believers, to steward the next generation. And we have that responsibility, whether your children are young, whether your children are old, or whether you have no children at all. We still have a responsibility to steward the next generation. And stewardship is one of the values of Mercy Culture Church I mentioned it before, but we have values within our church that help to make up the culture of who we are. You can learn more about that through MC Connect, but one of those values is the value of stewardship, and we, we call it the third option. And we say this, we manage heaven's resources for the Father's business. The heart's cry of a good steward is it will never be mine, it will always be yours. When given the choice between an ownership or employment mentality, we choose the third option, stewardship. Our children, while we have responsibility over them, they don't belong to us. Can I get an amen? I'm thankful because sometimes I'm facing problems with my kids and I just go before the Lord and say, I'm really glad, God, that this isn't my problem because I'm not near smart enough to deal with this. I don't know how to figure this out. And I hear that it doesn't get easier as they get older, right? Because when you got a five-year-old, you know, there are things you can do to help adjust their personality. When you have a 35-year-old, you just got to give them to God. So I'm thankful that they don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. So why should we care about the next generation? And we... I know, I hear this a lot. When, when my wife, Nikki, and I were first in ministry 20 years ago, we, uh, we started out leading worship, and then at a certain point, we were doing youth ministry. All the youth ministers, God bless you. I love you. May the hand of favor of God be upon you. That's not my ministry. It's not my calling. We did it for a season. We served. We actually loved it, but it's a challenge, Right? It's a difficulty, and I heard in youth ministry often, you know, why is this my responsibility? My kids are grown. I'm, I'm done. I fulfilled my responsibility. Or we would hear, hey, we don't have any kids. The youth, the next generation, however old they are, it's not really my responsibility. Let, let that be your responsibility. Well, I want to take you to Psalms chapter 78, beginning in verse 5. 
said, for he issued his laws to Jacob, he being God, and gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. How? How do we do that? Well, verse 7 tells us that we tell the stories of what he's done. It says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles. We share with the next generation the stories of what God has done. How many of you have a story of God doing something in your life? Some of it's big, some of it's small, but God has done things in our lives. And we have stories of the goodness of God. Not only do we have our own stories, we have stories of other people's testimonies of the goodness of God. The Bible tells us over and over again the power and the significance of the words of our testimony. And this scripture teaches us to share the glorious miracles of the Lord with the next generation. Why? Well, one of the things that it does is it breeds gratitude in our next generation. One of the ugliest and least wanted traits in humankind, and we all know there are many ugly traits in humanity, and one of the ugliest is ingratitude. Nothing will quite hold a person down like ingratitude. And when we, ref- when we refuse to share with our children and share with the next generation all of the reasons that we ought to be thankful for God in our lives, we are breeding and developing ingratitude within the next generation. And when people are ungrateful, they will inevitably take on victimhood. And when somebody believes that they're a victim, it means that they've laid down all responsibility for their own actions. Why? It's not my fault. I'm a victim. And we are surrounded and we are in a society that rewards victimhood today. We're in a society that constantly tells us which victim group do you fall into and where on the scale of victimhood do you lie? So I'm a victim here. Well, if, I'm, if I identify as this, then maybe I can go up the scale of victimhood and I take less and less responsibility for my own actions. And the seed of that mentality comes from a lack of gratitude. We've got to share with the next generation what God is doing. Yesterday here at Mercy Culture, right here on this property in that parking lot, we just decided, we heard the Lord say, bless the community, just love on the community. And so we got thousands and thousands of pounds of food. I think it's two or three truckloads of food that was delivered. And we just put up signs and went out in the streets and held up signs and said, hey, free food right here. And thousands of people came to be fed yesterday. Come on. We gave away literally tons of food to people yesterday, and not just rice and beans and beans and rice, which I'm grateful for. Uh, you know, we've all been there, at least I don't know if all of y'all been there, but I've been there. And uh, there was, yeah, yeah, rice and beans sounded really good at a certain time in my life. So, but it wasn't just that. We were giving away meat and, and fresh produce and name brand cereal. I'm not too good for store brand cereal, but there's something about that name brand cereal just hits different. 
and just loading people's car down with food and blessing them. And one of the cars that drove by, we, we pray over every single family that will allow us to. And one of our team went over to a woman and said, hey, can we pray with you? And she just immediately started bawling. And she said, I'm addicted to crack cocaine and I want to be free. Come on. Come on. We got to declare the goodness of the Lord and tell of the good things that God is doing. We have to teach what he requires. That same verse 7 says, by obeying his commands. We have to warn against sinfulness. In verse 8, it says, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. We have to warn against stubbornness, rebellion, a lack of faithfulness, and a refusal to fully give our hearts and trust the Lord. The second reason we must care about the next generation is what I said earlier. This generation doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. This is the story of Hannah. The mom of Samuel giving her son away to the Lord. And she went to the temple of God and she said, God, the Bible says that she was wailing. She was overcome with grief and sorrow because she could not have a child. And she told the Lord, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you. You see, Hannah recognized that the key to the Lord trusting her with a child or trusting her with whatever blessing she was seeking was her acknowledgement that that child doesn't belong to her. Do you want God to trust you with great things to steward if it's talent? If it's anointing, if it's property, if it's finances, if it's children, whatever you're asking God to trust you with, the key to receiving what you're praying for is the acknowledgement that it will never belong to you, but it will always belong to him. In Psalm chapter 139, beginning in verse 13, it says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. David is saying that, God, I recognize that even before I was born, I belong to you. Even before I was birthed, I belonged to you. The next generation belongs to the Lord. Now, how do we steward the next generation? I'm going to give us three points on how to steward it. I'm not normally a three-point kind of preacher, but this morning I am. So write down point number one. It's going to be easy to take notes today. The first point is to be a model. Let's go to Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. Verse 7 says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. In other words, while the people who had experienced the goodness of God were alive, Israel served the Lord. But verse 8 says this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge God or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. I always find this scripture to be so sobering to me 
Because you realize that the children of Israel had just experienced the most miraculous signs and wonders from the, from the Lord that the world has ever seen. They witnessed it with their own eyes. And within one generation, the Bible says they knew not God nor the things of God. Why? Because they didn't have a model. Because the children of Israel made the same mistake that many Americans have made. They forgot to pass on their values and gratitude to the next generation. You see, somewhere along the way, we, we decided that what we believe and our values were not something that had to be modeled. It was just something that the next generation would just kind of get. You know, freedom and liberty and the things that we hold dear in this country don't just happen naturally. George W. Bush used to say all the time, the people of the earth long for freedom. I, I wish that were true. But 5,000 years of human history tells us that he actually wasn't right. You know what the people of the earth long for? To be taken care of. The people of the earth long, human beings long for security. They say, hey, I'll give up my freedom, just take care of me. I'll give up my liberty, just keep me safe. We've seen it play out over the last two years where people all around the world said, hey, you can lock me in my house and prevent me from opening my business and tell me if I can go to church or if I can't go to church, just keep me safe. Just keep me protected. No, the people of the earth long for security. Freedom and liberty are a value that must be modeled and taught to the next generation. And the same holds true for the values that we hold dear as a church family. And as believers in Christ, they must be modeled for the next generation. And how do we do that? We do that through daily encounters. You're going to hear us talk about, if you're new around here, you've probably heard the word daily or the phrase daily encounters already. Even if it's your first Sunday, you've heard it 10 times. Because daily encounters is a part of who we are as a church and a part of who we are as believers. Daily encounter is just our verbiage for what it means to spend time with God every day. And not just spend time with the Lord, but allow God to hear us and allow us to hear him. He gives us direction. And as mothers and fathers, not only in the natural, but in the spiritual even if you don't have children, you're a spiritual mother and father, whether you realize it or not, somebody is looking up to you in some way. It might be the person you work with that's younger than you. It might be the person you go to church with that's a little younger than you, but people are looking to you to determine how they should react and act. And we can model what it looks like to encounter the Lord every day. Model for your children what worship looks like. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't allow your kids coming into your daily encounter to prevent you from doing what you were doing. You know, so many times I'm, I get up at five in the morning and have my daily encounter and I'm like, Lord, I, I, I'm not getting up any earlier. The Holy Spirit is asleep. He ain't awake at 4.15. Like, Lord, five o'clock's about as early as I can do it. And even though I get up at 5 a.m., little feet often comes running down the hall. And they come in and I could view that as an interruption to my daily encounter or I can stop and invite my children into that space. Model for them, show them what worship and gratitude looks like. Another way to be a model to your children is not if you mess up, 
But when you mess up as a parent, repent to your kids. See, I found repentance to my family is one of the greatest tools that I have found to advance spiritual territory with my children and my wife. I know it can be difficult as a parent, especially when you're dealing with with your kids and they were wrong, right? Y'all can laugh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Nobody has teenagers. (laughs) I have amazing teenagers, but... It, it still can be difficult, even when, when you're dealing with your kids and they were wrong, but you were wronger. You know, how do you like that grammar? You were even more wrong. And then you, you feel that, that, that Holy Spirit just pull in your spirit. And you're like, dead gummit. I'm going to have to go and apologize. I'm going to have to go back to my kids and I'm going to have to repent to them because I took it too far. That repentance moment, those moments of vulnerability will do more for your children than just about anything you can do. You're modeling for your kids what humility and trust in the Lord looks like. And the last way that we can be a model is by trusting the Lord. You see, we're not just believers in words only, but we are believers in action. What that means is that we trust the Lord with everything that we have. How can we model trust in the Lord? Well, we can tithe and Sabbath. Tithe and Sabbath are simply the way in which we show the world our families, ourselves, and God that we trust him. Lord, I trust you. I trust that you can do more with six days of labor than I can do with seven. Lord, I trust you that you can do more with 90% of my income than I can do with 100%. And when we say, I can't tithe, I can't Sabbath, what we're saying to our children, to our families, to those that are looking to us and to God, is we are saying, Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust that if I'll just follow your word, you will not only make up the difference, but you'll put your hand of favor upon me and you will multiply the works of my hands. The second way that we steward the next generation is by teaching them. So not only do we have to model what it looks like to be a servant of the Lord, not just be a quote unquote Western Christian, You see, when you ask people, do you believe in God, almost everybody says yes. That tells me nothing about that person. When you ask somebody even, are you a Christian, most people in our country say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But when you dig down and you start to see, hey, are we having communion with the Lord? Do you speak to the Lord? Does he speak to you? Are you surrendered to him? Are you being led by him? That often those two things don't line up. So we don't only model for our children what it looks like, but we must teach the next generation. Let me give you some practical steps to do that. Within our family, we have a, a morning routine, something we do every single day, and, and uh, we have got a little bit of a drive to school, and so it's a great opportunity for us on our way to school. We go through this morning routine. I'm going to give it to you. I think it's in your notes. If it's not, we're going to put it on social media this week, but we, we go through this morning routine, and it helps to teach our children theology and why we believe what I believe. So one of the things we do is we go through the books of the Bible. You can search in iTunes or wherever you get your music for books of the Bible, songs. That's what we started, because when I started doing this with my kids, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know the books of the Bible, because the phone has ruined me, right? I don't even know. The other day, I had to look up my address. <laughs> 
don't judge me. You do the same thing. And I look at my wife's phone, like, what's her phone number again? Because it's it. the phone has ruined us. So I had forgotten the books of the Bible. So I looked up a song. We started singing it every day. And now my kids and I know the books of the Bible. We go over the fruits of the Spirit. We talk about that. We go over each one. We recite the fruits. We go over the gifts of the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord to give to us those gifts. We go over 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter. We read so our children are not confused by what the world is telling them love is, but they know what the Bible says love is. We go over the Ten Commandments. We recite them every morning. We put on the full armor of God. We go through the Beatitudes. We pray and ask God to give to us the seven spirits of God that's in in Revelation. We pray the prayer of Jabez that we just prayed this morning. We pray over our school. We pray over you, Mercy Culture family, and we pray over the city of Waco. Then I speak and pray a father's blessing over our kids and read Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, which is just a scripture that talks about how we have to seek after wisdom like hidden treasure. Because wisdom doesn't just come on our kids, we've got to seek after it. The other way that we can teach our children is by exposing the agenda of the enemy. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and foremost natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What did he mean? He meant, listen, church is great. Church is important. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren, especially as the day of the return of our Lord draweth near. In other words, don't quit going to church. You need church community. And MC Kids is awesome. After we got through anointing them, they went over there, and this morning they're doing a presbytery service. So some of our leaders are praying over your children and prophesying over those kids this morning. So they are experiencing and encountering the presence of God, but it's not enough to outsource the teaching of our children. We as parents and as leaders have to also teach our own kids. And we cannot ignore what culture is trying to instill into our children. We can't just pretend like the culture that we're surrounded by isn't aggressively trying to counteract every single value and principle that we as believers are instilling into our children. They're teaching our children the opposite of all of the things that we are imparting into them. And we can't just ignore that that's happening in the culture. You know, there's, there's one thing to protect and shield our children, and I'm all for that. We're very careful about what they watch and what they read and what we allow into our home. But we also allow some things that we may not agree with. We allow it if it's age appropriate for them to see so that we can use culture as a teaching moment for our kids. So your kids, listen, let me just let you know, your kids are gonna get annoyed with you. So I want all the parents to take a deep breath, breathe out, repeat after me, I don't care. It's three of the most powerful words in the English language. I love my kids. I adore my children. I like my kids. We actually enjoy spending time with them. But if they get annoyed because I'm trying to use culture to help them understand what's going on, I don't 
care, right? We're still going to do it. So around our house, my kids know the movie is often paused. Like, do you see what was happening there? Let's talk about this for a second. Some of you are like, I am never watching a movie with Pastor Les. (laughs) You probably shouldn't. But I'm like, wait, did you see what's happening there? This is an agenda. This is what the world's trying to do. We can enjoy the movie, but let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. This is what's happening. All right, we can can start it back up again. Why? Because I want to equip my children with the resources to know what the enemy is trying to do to them. And if we lock them away and they've never even been exposed to it and then one day they're just released, the enemy will have authority in their lives quickly. It's why so many times we send our young people away to college at 18 years old and they come back completely antithetical to everything that you've taught to them and you paid the school $75,000 to do it. Come on. Sometimes I think, how stupid can we be, right? We've got to stop and say, wait a second, what am I sending my children into? We teach them through correction and discipline. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 said, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 13, 1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. The Bible is telling us, don't be afraid of your kids. It's 2022. Unfortunately, a lot of parents are afraid of their children. And a lot of people think that if I discipline my kid, I'm going to push them away. And it actually could not be further from the truth. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Our children need and crave discipline. They have to be, uh, they, they need boundaries and discipline. And in Ephesians, it tells us not to exasperate our children. In other words, don't push their buttons and annoy them intentionally and try to, but, but we must bring healthy discipline into our kids' lives. Can I pass you for a moment? Family, don't be afraid to discipline your kids. Right here in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, it says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Are you telling me, pastor, that you spank your kids? Yes. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm telling you we do. And what I have found is that with consistent and loving discipline, you don't have to run around beating your children. With consistent and loving discipline, you have children that are well-behaved and that will know their healthy boundaries in their lives. And the third way, and we're going to finish up with this, that we steward the presence of, uh, that we steward the next generation is we have to fight. Somebody say fight. We got to fight. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. This story that I read to you at the beginning. This is the children of Israel. And what you need to understand about this story is that at this moment in time, the children of Israel had only been out of Egypt for a very few short months. They had just started what they did not know would be a 40-year journey. Now, a lot happened in those first few months So when we read through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, before we get to Numbers, sometimes we feel like, man, they must have been on the road and on this journey for years. But no, they reached the promised land in just a few short weeks or months. 
And they were standing right at the verge of taking all of the territory that God promised them they would have. This is the hope of the children of Israel that they had been holding on to for 400 years. And they were right at the precipice of taking that land that God promised to them. For centuries, they had been believing God. And God told them, you can have it. You can have it. You can inhabit this land. They were so close. And then they sent in spies. And oftentimes when we read this story, we think that the sin of these spies and the sin of the children of Israel was the sin of doubt or the sin of unbelief or the sin of a lack of faith. But the greatest sin that they partook in is the spreading of despair. See, when these spies came out from Canaan, they brought with them hopelessness. They told the children of Israel who had been standing and believing in faith for 400 years. You understand, these are people who were living in slavery. They were beaten every day. They lived in filth and squalor. They could not do what they wanted to do. They couldn't say what they wanted to say. They couldn't even think what they wanted to think. They were completely and totally controlled by the Egyptians. They were living under the heavy hand of slavery, and they never lost hope. They believed God. They told their children They told the next generation what was to come. And in one moment, despair took it all from them. 400 years of faith. 400 years of hoping. 400 years of belief. And 10 spies robbed them of their promise. How many of us at one point had hope for our children? Some of you may be dealing with situations where your children seem hopeless to you. When I was praying into this message this morning, I could feel despair resting on some families. If people, some of your kids are grown, some of them are teenagers, maybe it's nieces and nephews or friends, but there's hopelessness that has settled into some of our hearts when we look at the confusion and the bondage of the next generation. We feel like, God, how could you possibly do anything with these kids, with this, with my grown children? Preacher, you don't understand what we're facing. You don't know what they've told us. You don't know how they've told us they hate us and they hate God and they don't believe in any of these things and they've rejected it all. Don't allow despair to steal the hope that you've been stewarding their whole lives. What led to this despair? Well, first, it was the children of Israel's decision to evaluate the feasibility of God's plan for their lives. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, there's a retelling of this story in Numbers. And we see in Deuteronomy, Moses explains that it was never God's plan 
to allow the children of Israel to go in, or he never asked the children of Israel to go in and spy out the land. No, it was the people's idea. It says then, in verse 22, Deuteronomy 1:22, Moses says, Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men ahead of us to search out the land and bring us word of what route to follow and which cities to enter. The children of Israel said, Hey God, we thank you for giving us this word and telling us that we can inhabit this land, but we need to evaluate the feasibility of what you promised. I'm not really sure if we can do what you said we could do. I'm not really sure if we can actually take the land that you promised us that we could take. So we're going to send spies and we'll let you know if it's possible or not. How many of us have heard a word from God and sent our own spies into the land? to evaluate. God, I know you told me to start this business, but I need to check it out first and see if it's actually possible. I know you told me to believe for the restoration of my family, but I don't think, I don't know. I need to evaluate the feasibility of this. Let me, let me check it out first. God, I know you told me to not give up hope for my children and to believe for their deliverance and their salvation, but I'm going to ask a few questions and I'm going to send some spies and I'm going to see if it's really feasible and possible. And David tells this same story in Psalm, the 106th chapter. In verse 16, he says, he's been telling how the children of Israel asked Moses to let them spy out the land. He says, and he, God, gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness into their souls. That phrase just leapt off the word to me. He sent leanness into their souls. What does that mean? It means that hope was sapped from them. Why? Because they refused to believe the Lord on his word alone. They needed to spy out the land first. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So many of us that are sitting in just a pool of weighty hopelessness. See, they went to Moses and Moses said, yes, And the Lord said, okay. So we see in Numbers, the very first chapter, the very first verse of chapter 13 said, and the Lord told the children of Israel to send spies into the land. So God told them, okay, fine, you can do it. But we've got to ask ourselves in our own lives, what has the Lord put his hand of favor on? And what has he simply allowed us to do? You see, God's favor wasn't on them sending spies into the land, but he allowed them to do it. And what happened is they picked up a spirit of despair and hopelessness, and it extended their journey by 40 years. God told them, because you refused to believe me, because you refused to have true faith, faith takes God at his word and needs no other evidence. 
because you said and you refused to just take the Lord at his word, he told them, none of you that are living today will inhabit this land. I'm going to leave it for the next generation. How many of us have sent spies into our land to determine if God's promises are feasible for us? How many of us have picked up despair and hopelessness and allowed that despair to prophesy our own defeat? Despair prophesies our defeat. In Numbers chapter 14, the very next chapter, the Bible picks up on what happened next. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. They became angry with Moses and Aaron. They said, why did you and God lead us out into this wilderness just so that we could die into the wilderness. They abandoned their hope. They abandoned their faith. They abandoned their belief in God's word. And they began to look at the circumstances before them. And God said, you will not see victory in this generation. I don't know about you, but I want to see victory. I want to see the fulfillment of all of the things that God has promised for my life and for my family. If everybody here would just close your eyes and bow your head. With nobody looking around. I felt like, as I was praying, the Lord said that he's going to reveal to many of us where despair has settled in our lives. He's going to reveal to us the places that we have sent spies to determine whether God can do what he said he could do. God, we repent this morning. Lord, we repent for evaluating you and your abilities. God, we repent for the hubris, for the pride, the lack of humility that we as your servants would have to evaluate the feasibility of what you told us you would do. So God, we lay down our questions. Lord, we lay down our studies, we lay down all of the ways that we have questioned you, all of the ways that we have picked up the words of other people, the words of the spies that entered into that land. We, we lay down and we silence the howevers in our lives. Ah. God, we silence the words of the people that have said this is too big of a dream. Your marriage is already over. Just let it go and move on. The words of the people that said that ministry, that plan that you have, that thing that you've been telling us, you can never do it. They don't know the sin. They don't know the way you used to live. They don't know the neighborhood you were raised in. They don't know the life that you used to live. We silence those words in the name of Jesus. 
without anybody looking around. If you know that you have things in your life that you need to repent, spies that you have listened to or that you've sent into the land of your promise that you need to lay down in silence, just lift up your hands right where you are. Just put your hands up in the air. God, we give it to you. We give it to you, Lord. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would revive crazy, stupid, impossible dreams in the hearts of your people. God, it was impossible for this small, scrappy army of malnourished slaves to take over the promised land, but you said it and we believe it. So God, we believe for the impossible. God, we believe for the impossible. All of those ways that the enemy has told us we've been disqualified, we rebuke those words in the name of Jesus. Everybody stand to your feet and just throw your hands up in the air. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that nobody qualifies us but you. We thank you, Lord, that the answers to the things that you've told us are yes, and amen. So God, we silence the no's. We thank you for the yeses in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just worship the Lord.